Basically, don't give away your power. Hold on to that power yourself. And at 67, I've learned it's never too late to find a new path. And it's just never too late to change your life for the better. Even if it's just one thing or a ton of things, it's never too late. And if you look at the cover of my book, you'll see that I am a cloaked older woman looking at this glorious path going into the forest. And, you know, that's the image I got for myself when I was thinking about the cover for the book. And I told my cover artist, that's what we need, because that's it. I found a new path and I'm going for it. I went for it. <laughs> and there's little fairies hanging about near me on the cover of the book. So, you know, they're, they're guiding me to the light. So it's just never too late and you can make things better. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Beeple Begin. Hi there, Beeple Begin listeners. Before I get to the episode today, I do want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. If you're unfamiliar with what this is, that decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. And this decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, you can go to podvoices.help. I do encourage you to take care, to speak up, and to spread the word. Hi, welcome back to Beeple Begin. I am Barcy, your host. And my question for you today is about magic. Where in your life do you feel the magic? What things for you are special and maybe whimsical or hopeful or filled with giggles or joy? Or maybe it's deeper than that for you and the magic is in healing or self-realization like we talk a lot about on this show. So magic can mean many things, and I do believe it is in the eye of the beholder, but I also think that each of us feels something when we talk about magic, and maybe it's something that we might overlook a little in our lives, but the fact is that there are magical moments in our lives, we just have to open up to them. 
My guest today is Joanne Richards. She is the author of a book called Midlife Magic, and it's a memoir. So I do just want to share a little bit about what her book talks about, because I think it will give a nice overview of what we are going to talk about today on the show. Midlife Magic, Joanne's book, takes you on the transformative journey of Joanne Richards' life from her typical suburban childhood through six marriages involving abuse, divorce, and death to her current marriage to a military intelligence officer incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit. Joanne had been an active member of the Mormon Church for nearly 30 years before leaving it behind to fully embrace the paranormal world of UFOs elementals, and magic, which had long spoken to her soul. Through her many struggles, she found her strengths, gifts, and inner power, and learned that dreams can and do come true. Today, she is a warrior who proudly carries the title Wise Woman Crone. Welcome, Joanne. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's a really fun bio. (laughs) Thank you. I I had a good editor who helped me tweak mine. (laughs) Fantastic. Yes, we need help from each other sometimes yes, for, yes. <laughs> to get polished exactly. and guide us. That's wonderful. I'm intrigued to read your book. So first of all, I'll have to go buy that when we're done with this. <laughs> I think we should start at the beginning if you're okay with that. Wherever you'd like to start, I'm good. Okay. So can you just share a little more about your background, how you grew up and, sure. and what that was like for you? Sure. I grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles. When I was very young, we moved to a, I think my parents were living in Los Angeles or Hollywood. Then we moved to a new community called La Pueni. Then we came over the hills into another suburb called Whittier. So I lived in Whittier till the first year of my high school. Then we moved to the San Francisco Bay Area where I finished high school and they moved back east. We were a family that went camping a lot. That was our main vacation. Our, I think our biggest vacation was going to the Seattle World's Fair in 1962. So, wow. yes, I'm old. You know, life was just pretty much middle-class suburbia and with dysfunction thrown in. My dad was an alcoholic. His mom was an alcoholic. And that, you know, boiled to the surface every now and then, more than we wanted to see that. We had a lot of good moments, so I... You know, I can't say my childhood was just horrible. It wasn't. And some friends we used to go camping with happened to be Mormons. And so I started going to church with them when I was about 10 and joined that church when I was 12 officially. You know, it's like you grow up in the June Cleaver, Leave it to Beaver era, and you think that life is going to be, you know, you marry the person of your dreams and you have a bunch of kids if you want and you live in a house and you never have to go to work. (laughs) Or I thought, oh, I could be the stay-at-home mom forever having all these kids and, you know, the man would go (laughs) off to work and life would be perfect. And, And in the Mormon church too, they preach basically that, you know, you find, you know, they don't really call it a soulmate, but you find, you know, a a good mate and, you know, you create this spiritual relationship for yourself in this happy little family. And of course, they assume you're going to be able to have a ton of children, you know, and you assume you're going to be married forever. Well, I married five different Mormon men and none of those were ever going to last forever. And it went from bad to bad to bad. And the second guy I married was not a Mormon, but he had substance abuse problems. But fortunately, he's the only person I had a child with. So I got one child. I thought I wanted 10 or 12. You know, I look back on it now and it's like I kind of joke in the book. I had a boyfriend from high school and the only reason we ever broke up was because he said I wanted to have a baseball team. And at the time I did. 
you know, I wanted to have all these kids and he only wanted two. He went on to have his two children. I thought I'd have a ton. I only had one. I'm very grateful for her, but that's what, you know, the universe handed me. <laughs> so yeah. life didn't quite turn out exactly the way I thought. I was hardly ever a stay-at-home mom. You know, when my daughter was very young, I was able to stay home. But other than that, I've worked for years, so... Interesting. Wow. Well, thank you for that sort of painting a picture of what that was like for you. My first question is, it sounded like you joined the Mormon church on your own as a child. I did. Yeah, my family was supportive, but they had no interest in being members. They were basically Methodist on paper, but they hardly ever went to church either. It's not like they raised us in a religious upbringing you know, we went to church probably for holidays and you know, sure. every now and then it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I enjoyed going to Sunday school as a little kid, but it didn't seem like it was a regular. It's not like we prayed together as a family or we sat around talking about God or anything. So, so I'm curious then, what was it that you gravitated to? Because that's a young age to make a big decision like that right. around your spirituality or maybe it was something else like structure or like, I guess that's my question, really. Like, were you connected to what you were looking for that that was filling for you at the time? I really liked the wholesome family values that they taught because there was clearly dysfunction in my family and my parents argued a lot. And, you know, we had fun vacations and we had a nice house for a while and then money got tight. So we moved to the other side of town. You know, that was a huge stigma for us. I could already tell by 10, 12, you know, there were issues. And I think my parents resolved a lot of their issues later in life, especially as my dad got ill. But I just really appreciated the wholesome family values. And they had, you know, an after school program for children. And, you know, you'd go and learn these fun little lessons and sing songs. And, you know, I liked the singing the songs. And, you know, as you got older, there was a camp you could go to. So it was a lot of fun. And again, my best friend of the time, you know, was a member of the church. So we could go do these things together. So. Wow. So lots of community. It's a definitely a community. You know, you grow up learning to serve others. So there's nothing wrong with that. And I right. really liked the idea of, you know, finding my soulmate and just living happily ever after. But, you know, I mean, yeah. there is a lot of emphasis on that. And I don't knock them for that. It's just that <laughs> I, I should have had a little more realism built into my training or my upbringing. Sure. I suppose that's a decision you made at a I young did. age, right? Yes. And there are things that we know and don't know at that right. time that we gain much exactly. later. <laughs> Hopefully for other people, it won't have to be six or seven marriages later. <laughs> So tell me about that. So they were all Mormon except for the man you're with now, correct? Two. Husband number two and the current husband number seven were not members of the church. I went to Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, right out of high school. And it was funny, though, because the man I married was not going to that college. He was going to school in upstate Utah, up, you know, northern Utah. I think his mm -hmm. friends were... Either the band that was playing at a dance, because I love to dance, so I was always going to the dances. Anyway, he came to either hear the band or see his friends. I don't know exactly. I don't remember. I try not to remember all this stuff. Um, and so we met, and we were <laughs> dancing, and we just started, you know, we would start going out. And, and when he was in town, we would go out. And every now and then, I would go up to northern Utah to hang out with him. Not very often, because you know, there wasn't really any place for me to stay. I didn't know anybody up there. And it looked kind of funny. Well, of course, not everybody that goes to that school, you know, are necessarily Mormon or they're not necessarily, you know, good Mormons. So you know, they didn't care okay. that I was hanging out at the apartment. It's not like we were sleeping together, but I was staying at the apartment. So it's just kind of funny. It was a little more lax than it would have been 
you know, had I invited him to come spend the weekend in my apartment in Provo, sure, that sure, been bad. So anyway, you know, we got married. You know, I was a home economics major. He thought, oh, that's great. You know, she's going to know how to cook and sew and clean the house. Well, you know, housekeeping it's not my strong suit. I'm a really good seamstress and cook and all that good stuff. But you know, nobody's ever given me prizes for dusting. <laughs> I can relate okay, to that one. <laughs> good. You know, it drives my daughter crazy. It's funny because at the time I didn't know his parents and his family all thought, well, you know, he's in his early 20s. It's time for him to get married. He should get serious about this. So I was the obvious choice, apparently. You know, I didn't realize any of that till oh. after we got married and after the top layer of the cake fell over at our reception and he had an allergy attack on our honeymoon. It's like, these should have been red signs where I should have just run for the hills. I didn't know to look for signs at the time. but. You know, it's like I thought I was going to be able to go to school along with him and keep up working towards my degree, and my grandma was going to help me. And then it became very clear that we were really poor. I mean, most young married students are really poor, you know, unless you have families that are supporting you. But we were really poor, and he was almost done with his degree. So he decided basically that I was not going to school. I was going to have to go to work and provide for us while he could finish school. So I was like, well, that was disappointing. And I didn't have a lot of job skills. You know, I ended up cleaning houses for a while. Then I got a job at Sears. So, you know, I do have some retail skills now (laughs) and certainly not the bookkeeping skills that I have today, you know, and right away I thought, okay, we're going to start having babies. Well, he wasn't interested in having babies right away. It's like, okay. And it just became clear that he He didn't cherish me the way I thought he did. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. he would tease me, but not in a fun way that I grew up. You know, he would pinch my inner arms and he would just be mean. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. fun. Then it was like, well, I'm around photography models all day long and you're not thin enough. And I go, well, I'm 120 at age 20 and that's really thin for me. You know, what do you expect? Well, go out there and do some jumping jacks and you need to exercise every day. And it's like... (laughs) Okay, I'm working, I'm doing the house stuff, because you're certainly not. Anyway, it just, you know, went downhill, and within a year, he had kicked me out, and I went home to Connecticut. We got a divorce, even though he, oh, can we try again? I go, well, sure, if you want to come to Connecticut and talk to me. No, 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 you have to come to Utah and talk to me. I go, well, then forget it. If you can't come get your wife, forget it. (laughs) If you can't fight for me, then it's not worth it. So... So remind me how old you were when you two got together. I would have been 19 because I was in my sophomore year of college. So I was 19. So pretty young. I'm sorry. Was this the first or the second? That was the first. And actually, that's not very young for Mormons. (laughs) I had people when we were all freshmen. There were a few people in my dorm that got married that first year. And it's like, you didn't even finish your first year of college. (laughs) Did they stay in school? Well, they the women. No, I think she started having babies right away. But I don't know. I lost touch. You know, you just, yeah. A, a lot of people got married really young, but that's kind of the okay. atmosphere at BYU. So, <laughs> right. I actually spent some time in Provo a couple of years, not a couple of right. years consecutively, but one year I went, and another year I went because there's a film festival there so that nice. I really like. Actually, that's not in Provo. No, it's, I know it's but, not city, but. Yeah, but it was, it's very niche Whoa. film fest called Film oh, Quest. Okay. And it's like sci-fi and horror okay. and fantasy. It's really fun. And it's in Provo that, of all that places. That's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually run by a Mormon. I, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> right. Very nerdy. It's like, I have nothing wrong with any of those chores. <laughs> 
they're just fun and shout out to Jonathan but that I've spent some time in that space which I found very interesting Uh today and I don't know what it was like during the time you were there but with the college there you even mentioned there's a mix of not everyone there attending is necessarily Mormon so you have this interesting mix of there's a gay community there there's a very artistic community there now (laughs) Uh uh-huh yes I was there in the early 70s so I'm sure if there was any of that we never knew yeah but the rules yeah. are the same like there's still all of that That's it's nice. just an interesting nice. place to be yeah. now yeah I found it fascinating <laughs> but to get back to your story so what happened after that you're in Connecticut right. and then what happens you know I worked for a while and I went to school for a while and then I decided I want to move back to California and be near some friends and whatever and good thing because my family ended up my parents ended up moving back to California with my dad's job so that all worked out fine you know and I was going to some church singles things and I was hosting a church singles thing at my house or the house I was living at and this you know young man came in and he has I think his sister and brother-in-law dropped him off and he was not a member but we hit it off and we got along and you know that was going to be husband number two we courted for a month he wanted to get married like on his first daughter's birthday because he wasn't allowed to see her and he couldn't pay child support so the wife ex-wife didn't let him see her so you know okay I said well sure let's get married you know why not good thing because I got pregnant before we were married and so it's a good thing we got married because I would have been kicked out of the church if they had known that I was already pregnant by the time we got married but we had a short courtship we got married in my parents backyard and it didn't take long. I mean, he was a nice guy and we had a lot of fun, you know, but those early months, I was sick pretty quick with pregnancy and stuff, but it became apparent that he had a drinking problem. Back then, smoking marijuana was illegal and he had me drive with him to go pick up some pot and I was just terrified the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he had an alcohol problem and he'd gotten addicted to Valium when he was in the Navy because he'd had an injury, mm-hmm. you know, but so his family thought, well, if he marries a nice Mormon girl, they'll straighten him out and they'll take care of him. It's like, well, <laughs> and he swore he was going to let me stay active in the church and he had no problem with anything that that entailed. Well, that didn't last long. Pretty soon he was making me feel guilty for going to church. He didn't want me to pay my tithing and it just became very difficult. And then his illnesses got more serious. And when I was about seven months pregnant and he talked about suicide several times through our marriage. And again, we weren't together, you know, but a year. Well, I remember he had kicked me out when I was seven months pregnant. He just was going, you know, nuts. I had made the mistake of saying, I hope none of these drugs you've done throughout your life have affected the baby. And, you know, he kind of blew up at that. But anyway, he kicked me out Mm -hmm. and then he called me saying he was suicidal. Would I come talk to him? And and I was staying at my sister's, so I wasn't very far away. So silly me, sure. I go and talk to this suicidal person with the gun out and got him calmed down. And then I left, but it's like, he could have killed us all at that moment. And, you know, I went, moved back with my parents and then I had the baby. He saw the baby twice. He had the ringer off the phones. I couldn't, I was trying to call him from the hospital because he definitely had some, you know, mental illness. And we were heading for divorce because I knew, you know, this, okay, this isn't going to work for me either. He saw our daughter twice and then he committed suicide. Oh my. So thankfully, I was not the one who found him. His parents found him, and that was obviously very traumatic for them. And they called me, and, you know, I was already moving on emotionally. (laughs) It was hard, but, you know, we had a funeral and all that. And so 
That's what happened to number two. And my poor daughter, she was five weeks old when he died. So she's never known her dad. Just through my stories, you know, what I've written. We stayed very close to his family. So, you know, they shared lots of stories. And she had wonderful grandparents and wonderful aunts and stuff. So it was really nice that they kept us, you know, they still, to the day they died, the grandparents were calling me their daughter-in-law. So, you know, they'd seen me get married several times after that. But Well, that's really beautiful that they've found space for that. Very sweet. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That sounds like it was definitely a tumultuous discovery and time. And there's a lot going on, (laughs) especially with being pregnant and having, you know, your first child in the midst of all of that. And thankfully, I have a very supportive family. So I was living at my parents. My grandma was already living there. So it's like it was three generations. And my sister lived across the street. Her oldest is three months older than my daughter. So, you know, for a long time, we could raise our kids near each other. So it was really nice. And my daughter's born on my sister's birthday. So. (laughs) Wow. So much connection there. That's Really beautiful. It is. It's very nice. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit because I know there's a few more marriages to talk about, (laughs) but I want to make sure we discuss your discovery and where you are today because a lot has changed for you. Can you talk about sort of when you started to make some realizations around some of the patterns that weren't working for you in your relationships? That is kind of tricky because, again, I kept thinking, you know, it's like I always trusted that I would find true love and love would work out. And I always trusted that I could find the right guy who would be a decent stepfather to my daughter. So we could have this happy little family. And, you know, my discovery is that it's like I know now it's like probably didn't totally process this until I was writing my book, but it's like, I never asked the right questions. I just assumed, oh, we're both Mormons. So of course we're going to pray together and go to church together. And we have the same goals. And of course, everything else will just work out, you know, and we're going to magically know how to handle our money and da, 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 you know, all these things. And there's just a lot of questions you should be asking no matter who your partner is. It's like what you believe in. It's like, well, do they believe the same way? And, you know, especially with COVID, it's brought up a whole new bucket of questions on, you know, what you should find out about a potential partner. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, you live with them during a pandemic. <laughs> but um, Add that to the list. Yeah, it's top of the list now. And my daughter reminds us, like, you know, the more times you got married, the less you put up with. Mm-hmm. And... I just knew, okay, this isn't working. And if you're not going to therapy, I'm out of here. Because I went to therapy when I was married to one of them. And I know I have value, but I don't think I really grabbed onto and really embraced all my own value until much later. So I know what I did wrong. I mean, I know it's like all these mistakes I made. And I just kept picking the wrong people, even when, you know, my mom would say, I don't think you should marry him. It's like, oh, sure. You know, everything's going to be fine. And, And your person at church, it's like, you know, I hear he's got some, you know, bad vibe. You know, it's like he's had some bad experiences with women. You know, he's been a little mean. And it's like, uh, well, it'll be fine. He's fine with me. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's yeah. just, I, I wasn't listening. You know, I thought, oh yeah, he's the right one. I, I wasn't doing due diligence. So it was hindsight. In hindsight, I've got great perspective on all of this. <laughs> of course. <laughs> like, like us all. But I know. that distillation really makes sense though. And I think we can all relate to that. So thank you for framing it that way and being open about that discovery and as it being a process. It is. I think a lot of us, if not all of us, can relate to it in some part of our lives. Well, I was going to say the other thing that, you know, when I was young, I, I watched my mom enable my dad as an alcoholic and I helped her be a codependent. 
And so I embraced yeah. for the wrong term, but it's like, you know, I became a codependent and, you know, here I'm going to buy the guy's alcohol here. I'm making excuses for him. Oh, and when this one is hitting me or my daughter, I'm not calling the cops. I'm not telling the church leaders he'll stop eventually. Well, you know, maybe he did stop eventually, but by then I'd already had enough and this just wasn't going to work. The other thing is, and especially, you know, when you're in the Mormon church, you know, the man is the head of the household. That doesn't mean the man is the head of the household with an iron fist or an iron anything. It's like, you know, that doesn't mean he owns you. And this is true in any situation. It's like your partner doesn't own you. You need to be two whole, wonderful beings coming together as a partnership. And, you know, because I've only married men, it's like, okay, the man is like, okay, he doesn't own me. And I'm not his property. And not everything he says should go. You know, and I shouldn't have to not see my family because he's mad at them. So I gave my partner too much power and I just kind of squashed all my own power down, Mm -hmm. which is something I would not recommend to anybody. And if you're in trouble, call the cops. You know, it's like I didn't stand up for myself and I certainly am now. Yeah, (laughs) My current husband is seeing a whole new different me. And not that he's tried to squash me, but we're both very strong personalities. But again, I could see myself just kind of going along with the flow more than I am. I mean, not that I'm trying to rock the boat, but I am standing up for myself a lot more than I ever used to, which is great. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. And my daughter sees that and my grandchildren see that. So it is it's a big deal. It is a big deal because it starts to break that sort of atmospheric learning that we get just from our surroundings and the people that we're around and all of that. And the healing really does have an expansive impact when we do that for ourselves. So your growth is definitely going to impact even more people as you share it in spaces like we are today. I think it's really important. It is. To talk about it. So thank you for talking about <laughs> sure. it. It's not always fun to talk about. No, but I'm getting a lot braver to talk about the messy parts. Yeah, so. I appreciate that so much. I really do because it's intimate. And I think the more we talk about it, the less taboo it becomes and the more opportunity others have, all of us have to recognize our own power. Yes, 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 yes. And it's funny because until the podcast that I did yesterday, I think. And for the first time in a long time, it's like I said out loud and I said it with you. It's like, I got pregnant before I got married. I don't normally, I was never going around. I mean, yes, my family figured it out. It wasn't hard to figure out, but like I never went around and saying that because I would have been excommunicated from the church just for that or disciplined for sure. But you know, now it's like my daughter doesn't care. My family doesn't care. It's like, who cares? (laughs) How does that feel to be able to finally say it? It feels like I'm peeling back another layer of guilt and shame. And I'm really glad to be able to do that. Because again, who really cares? And I'm not a member of the church anymore. So I don't care if they know or not. You know, you can't do anything to me now. So <laughs> how relieving that must be to let go of some of that. It is. It's very nice, you know. So it's amazing. <sighs> Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, and you know, we're just coming out of Samhain and those fun like three days here. And and it's a big time for releasing. So I feel like I have released a a big weight off my shoulders. So that's thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for letting us share that with you. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Truly. I have a lot of moments like that in my personal life. And it's funny how you feel like they're small sometimes, or I feel like they're these little things that don't really matter. And as soon as I connect with it and really say things out loud, something shifts and something releases. Right. 
and it can be really powerful. So yes, that acknowledgement is wonderful. Yeah. So let's talk more about that. Actually, I would love to talk more about sort of the discovery you made and how you started to shift out some of this. Okay. Well, when I was married to number three, he was a funeral director. So this is kind of the backstory of one of my loves. He was a funeral director and One time we drove from Southern California to Northern California to do a graveside service for this old woman who passed. And it was just going to be like two members of her family, relatives. I don't even know who they were. I didn't know this woman who died, but I'm standing there with my husband and these other two. It's like, oh, and then she's like right there. It's like, Mm. and I can't see her because I can't see spirit. I mean, I can see their shadows, but I can really feel them. And she's like right here to the side of me. It's like, oh, this is cool. I I think she's here. (laughs) This is, it was just so wonderful. And then another time, he wasn't a funeral director anymore, but we were living back in Ohio and his sister's mother-in-law had passed. And I think I sang at the funeral. So I'm on the front of the chapel and I just knew that her spirit was like hanging out near the ceiling at the far back of the chapel. It's like, there she is. And it was just, that was the beginning of my being able to feel spirits. And I just thought, well, this is so great. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then after I met current husband, Mark, number seven, he introduced me to stuff about UFOs and aliens. And then, you know, why don't you go learn about this aircraft carrier down in the San Francisco Bay Area? It has really great, like, military history. It's like, okay. And then I found out that it's got a huge history of ghosts on the ship. And then I got to meet, you know, oh, well, I hear there's a psychic who does ghost tours on that aircraft carrier. Why don't you go hear her talk? It's like, okay. And then I got to meet her and I got this private tour on the aircraft carrier and all of a sudden and it was like after hours so it's getting dark and this is the USS Hornet in Alameda if you ever get the chance to go there I mean it is really well known for its ghost stuff but if you ever get to go there it's really cool you know you're walking down a hall I'm going it's it's really cold in this hallway (laughs) she's going yeah yeah I know and then we're going up you know the stairway ladder thingy to where the bunk rooms are and she's gone into the other room and I'm at the top of the ladder and there's a spirit peeking out from behind this column and I'm going, hello? It's like, I can see the shadow. I, I can't see their face like I can see you. I can see their shadow. I can feel the energy. I have another dear psychic friend who can see them as if they were alive at that moment. Uh, anyway, but wow. I could see the spirit. I could say hello to him. It's like, that was so, so cool because he was very shy. But on the Hornet, there's a lot of spirits who died there. And also they're just sailors and they just want to come hang out. You know, they've been in the Navy and they just want to come hang out. So there's a couple of them. What's now the women's restroom, like on the main hangar bay, used to be like the engine room. And back in, you know, World War II or whatever, women were not allowed on the ship. And so now they kind of, they're not voyeurs, but like they hang out in the women's restroom because that was their territory. And they kind of like to tease you, maybe knock on the door or like, you know, you might feel like they're peeking over the edge. But I didn't feel like that when I was in the restroom. But I used to take a lot of pictures with my black and white 35 millimeter camera and you'd get the film developed and you could see the energy of the spirits like hanging out right by the bathroom. (laughs) Oh, wow. It was really cool. And I've been other places in California and in England where just the spirit, you can just feel it. And it's so delightful that they honor you with being able to feel their spirit because other people in the room, what are you talking about? It's like, what, what, what's going on? It's like, uh, okay, nothing. 
<laughs> and then, yeah. you know, and with digital film, it's different. But sometimes in my digital camera, at least I can see like the shimmery of, oh, mm-hmm. well, they're, okay, the, the spirit was like right there by the window. We knew it was there because we could feel it. It's validated by the time you look at your digital images again so but then again it's fun because my friend like we're walking down a stairway and she's going okay well there's this woman here who's going down the stairs kind of in a hurry and it's like she's going down the servant stairs and she's either going to a rendezvous that she shouldn't be at or she's just been at one <laughs> so i'm not quite sure because she was dressed more like a lady and she's going down the servant stairs so you know there was something naughty going on but and she was very confused that my friend could see her <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's so interesting. I was just gonna say, so, so that was fun. But, you know, once I met Mark and he was starting to talk to me about fairies. So the ghost stuff I already had. But, you know, I, I came into experiencing it more when I was around my psychic friends in these last you know, 10, 20 years. The fairies was new to me. But I, I've experienced fairies at the house we have in California. And again, I don't necessarily see them as a little person, except once or twice I have startled them off the flowers when I'm just watering. And it's like, oh, that's, that's something flying away. And it, it's got little legs. And it's very cute. Yeah, they, oh you know, a lot of the times they're just in their ball of energy form. I can see them sometimes or I'll see their shadows or they'll hide something or they'll help me find something. It, we have a very interesting relationship and I leave them treats and Mark has built a bunch of fairy houses and I, you know, make little baskets for their beds and we give them treats and just getting to know the fairies is a wonderful way to enhance your honoring of mother nature and helping to realize how important it is to take care of this planet because, you know, that's what they're all about. And if you don't take care of the planet and you piss them off, you know, you might have a really bad rainstorm. <laughs> Or you might have a rainstorm because you need the rain, but sometimes you get more of a storm than you want because you've really made the elementals mad. Wow. So how did he introduce that relationship to you and being able to notice those things? That's a good question. You know, I think we were just talking about it and and especially too, you know, he's been around that ever since he was young. And so I know his dad had experiences with elementals because his dad had his own. And then Mark was given one to be his companion when he was, you know, seven. He's been with him for, I think there was a break where he wasn't with him, but Cloud Singer's been with him. I mean, he's, he's with him today. So he's been around elementals a long time. And then several of his close friends are witches. So, you know, they have a ton of elementals. So he's, you know, seeing them in action, you know, with full-blown magic and in you know, action with their witch person that they live with. And, you know, he's so he's been around that. So we were just start talking about it. And then he would, he started slowly teaching me, well, like, you know, if you put out treats on especially the four phases of the moon, you know, during the month, okay. And then for a while he was giving me these elaborate calendars. Okay, well, today is so-and-so. Like, put out this kind of treat. And so it got very elaborate. And I, I don't do that much anymore. But then he even drew a map of our property in California. It's like, okay, this one lives here, and this one lives here, and this is a brownie, and this is a sprite, and this one's in charge of the garden, and this one's in charge of the house. And then there's pixies in this room, and there's sprites in this room, and it's the sprites that, you know, push me on the stairs when I've pissed them off. But, you know, when I'm nice, after they get their giggles out because I've done something silly, they will help me find things that I can't find. You know, all of a sudden, this piece of paper will get pulled out from 
a pile of papers and it's like, oh, that's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> or they'll put the thought oh my in gosh. my head that, okay, go look here because it's been sitting there the whole time or we're done borrowing it and we've put it back type of thing. So, and we just talk about them like they're, they are a part of the family. That's so interesting. It is fascinating. And when I first started traveling to England, it's like, well, okay, now you need to prepare a basket because some of them want to travel with you. So I, I packed a little basket. They traveled with me in the airplane and they just loved taking off at different places in England to go meet their friends at that castle or their friends at this place or go see what new elementals they could make friends with. And, you know, it's like, okay, the car doors open, go. (laughs) And then I would wait. I would open the car door. It's like, okay, I'm walking back to the car now. You know, come on. Oh my gosh. Do you have any examples of his stories with his witch friends? Like you said, he witnessed them interacting together. So I'm curious what that looked like. Well, okay. The one, they were partners for several years until she was killed and they have three children together. Mm -hmm. The oldest was killed with the mom, but the two daughters are still very active. But, you know, she could just hold her hands apparently and, you know, call on them. And I've seen a picture of her daughter do this and you can just see they're holding their hands and you know they're directing energy or you know they're directing you know giving little cues to the elementals even though I couldn't see where the elementals were but he's written several reports because they also tie into whatever UFO and military alien stuff he would be working on you know it's like okay we went to this cool library and you know whether it was there's a couple of famous guys I don't know if it was Alistair Crowley or this other person that was really famous you know, okay, we got to go in their library and look at their stuff. And the elementals are just balls of light. You know, we're just so excited to see what was in the book. And, you know, that's just one thing. (laughs) I'm getting an idea. Okay. It's a fun conversation (laughs) and painting a picture of what the interactions might look like, I think is helpful for a listener. Yeah. So thank you for sharing. One of my funnest things for me, though, is I've been at England speaking and as I was walking up to the podium to speak, my friend was taking pictures and she caught, you know, there were orbs you know, around my booth. And then one just like, oh, she's going up there. And you can see it with its tail. Like, oh, we better hurry and get with her, you know, because they would always hang out with me when I was speaking and just protect me and guide me. And, you know, I'm always asking them. It's like, help me know exactly what to say, that kind of stuff. And they're very helpful. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's a really fun way to kind of walk through life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And again, like I said, he lives with one. Now, actually, there's two that live with him now. But, you know, so he sent me a a little fairy bedroom that he built a year ago. It was supposed to be last year's Christmas present. And it was just now allowed to be sent home to me. And it's like, well, Cloudy was taking really good care of it. He really likes sleeping in it. And, you know, it's this lovely little bedroom with books and teddy bears and a crocheted blanket. And I have it in my living room here. And, you know, hopefully somebody's using it. Hopefully. That sounds lovely. Very cozy. Yeah, it sounds very cozy. It sounds like a nice place I'd like to lay down. (laughs) I know. It's better than my bed. (laughs) So I'm curious then, when you started making these discoveries, it sounds like it brought a lot of light and joy and sort of fun into your life. Was that something that you felt was missing at the time that this lit up for you? Or Again, I had a very structured life with church going and church service. And I was a bookkeeper, so I was constantly working. And yes, I had some fun with a, you know, roommate, we would run around. And then by the time I met Mark and I left the church and I was visiting him every weekend and sometimes he lived closer, I was visiting him several days a week, not all day long. It was just a few hours at a time. But then he was talking to me about witchcraft and I thought, oh, that sounds very interesting. And I started to get interested in it. 
And I went to another bookkeeper's house and turns out she's a witch and she's been a witch for a long time and she's going to start teaching a magic class. I go, oh, that sounds oh. fascinating. Just about the basics. And I don't know if she told me that, but she might have told me that day, but I hadn't really got into it yet. And she goes, I can smell it on you. I can smell that this is, you know, part of you. It's like, really? Okay. I hope it's a good smell. <laughs> You know, I started taking classes and I started learning about the basics. And, you know, it's not like I have all the tools and all the cool stuff. I keep it very simple and use what I need for myself. But, you know, it works for me and it does bring me light and joy. But it also, it's really been a big part of me learning how to take care of myself. Like self-care. You know, I wasn't doing that (laughs) much. And at least really realizing, okay, I'm important Yes, I have a great partner, but I'm important regardless of that great partner. And and it's not like I go overboard with self-care, but I started taking time for myself because I wasn't. I was always work, always visiting the husband. That was it. Work, husband, work, husband. Occasionally go see my daughter. Yeah, this really ties into the self-worth piece. Yeah. Yeah. I, I dove in and the self-worth, because I think I've always, obviously, I've always had self-esteem problems because, you know, what's wrong with me? I keep picking these crappy husbands, you know. They had a really good way of making me feel like it was all my fault. So They're my self-esteem that. was in the crapper for a long time. It's not now. And my friends can see that I'm happier. My daughter can see that I'm happier. And my husband is glad to see me happy. I think he sees that I'm happy. He, he says he's happy that I'm happy. So that's good. It's really good. It is different. It's, it's a learning process. And yeah. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> no, it is a learning process. It will continue to be, I'm sure. But just as it should with life going on and being excited about life, we can continue to embrace that process. And, you know, I think I told you before we started recording, it's like there's a break in the rain and I've been working all day. It's like, you know, I need to get out and move. And I wouldn't have said that two years ago, but I, I love to walk. And in California, there's a bunch of trees where we live. But here, it, I, I'm in Portland, Oregon. And so it's, I don't know, I've made it more my own and it's very different. And it's like, I need to walk and the trees, I need to be out in, in the nature and commune with my friends out here for a little while to get grounded and centered before I do this interview. Because I want to say what needs to be said, but it's just like, I wouldn't have done that a couple years ago even. I wouldn't have necessarily taken the time to, you know, well, stop your busy day and go take a, it's like, I thought I'd be gone 20 minutes. I think I was gone 45. It's like, oh, it's a quarter to four. (laughs) You know, I, I wouldn't have done that. And it's like, it's important to do, especially if you get a little, you know, urge, like, you know, you get outside and take a walk, you know, that will help you, you know, feel more productive. And that will help you when we're doing our talk here. And that will just help you. <laughs> right. Yes. Listen to those pulls. Yes. That, yes. That know what we need. And if we act on them, we will be rewarded for sure. Yeah. And I would say that I have noticed over, and it's probably, you know, I've been with Mark over 20 years, but definitely, you know, the last 15 to 20 years, I've been honing my intuition and listening. You know, I used to only think I'd only get answers if I was on my knees praying. You know, somebody was giving me answers. Well, you know, somebody's giving me answers, but I just, it's like, oh, I have intuition. <laughs> Yes, you have the answers. I do have the answers. It's it's all here. And if I listen and, you know, sometimes I'll tell him something that I know is going to happen. And it's like, well, maybe the timing isn't right this minute. But, you know, he's not. It's like he just looks at me like, well, how do you know this? Mm. (laughs) Even though he's a very magical person on his own. I don't think he was ready or used to. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if he knew I would embrace it as much as I have when he introduced it. So it's it's, so interesting. Yeah, it sounds like he really pulled on a thread that maybe he intuitively noticed and was maybe surprised by his own 
knowing and what he found in you? Because we don't really necessarily talk about, I mean, I'll share with him, I'll say, I took this class, this is what I'm doing. He practices his spirituality different than I do. He still does like rituals and things with the pagans there at the prison, but we don't necessarily, I did this for my ritual, and what'd you do for your ritual? And so we practice differently, which is fine. I wanted to share though, it's like one of the most wonderful experiences I had was I do talk with his dead partner that was the witch. You know, I talk to her through a channeling medium and a couple of years ago, I said, well, I'm going to go to Portland to have Christmas with my daughter. And while there, it's going to be Yule. And I'm going to, I want to do a little Yule ritual. She was, oh, cool. You know, can I come? And it's like, <sighs> I mean, she was this really well-respected, high up, a leader of her group and a leader in England and stuff. And, you know, it's just like, I'm in awe of her. And we've become very good friends. Anyway, I started this very simple ritual and I invited her to join us. And one of the other young ladies in the group, there was just my granddaughter, another young lady and I doing this ritual. And, you know, she invited maybe a grandparent or somebody that she wanted to. It was very simple, but I could feel Titania's spirit like right next to me as if my best friend was standing right next to me. I go, you know, I, I feel so new at this, even though I've been learning about it for years. I go, I don't know if I can do it the right way, leading a ritual by myself. She goes, it's all about intention. You don't have to do fancy stuff. So I don't. I never do anything super fancy, but you know, it's all about intention. And it's like, oh, okay. And she was right there. And then we talked later. She goes, Yes, I was there. It was great. You know, you did great. It was like, but you know, to feel your best friend standing right next to you, that is so empowering. You know, wow. especially when they're not of this world. <laughs> I can feel the feeling of support that you had. Yeah during that time and in that moment and even after it is so amazing to have the connection we have even across the veil or through the veil whatever you want to say it's really wonderful it sounds very special and I like the focus on intention I think that's so applicable to everything right how I coach in podcasting it's how I do everything it's it's if we have space to find the intention around our everything actions thoughts all of it and be mindful I think that everything starts to improve Yeah, I don't know whether it was you I was talking to or somebody else I was talking to. I said, you know, just you don't have to believe in or practice witchcraft to set intentions about things. Right. (laughs) You know, I want to make that perfectly clear. It is a huge part of, you know, practicing magic. But again, setting intention is a goal, but it is a huge part of magic. And but again, you know, I've had people ask me, well, isn't that all dark? I go, no, it's it's basically just using the laws of nature and the universal energies to get what you want. And again, one of my teachers is like, you know, it's just to help you have the best life possible for you. Mm. Sounds really <laughs> lovely. I think so. You know, would it be okay to share maybe one of those ways to do that? Like a ritual or an intentional Well, again, and especially like when the new moon is a great time to set intention. So what I've learned is, you know, you have a goal in mind, whatever it is. And write it out as if it's already happening. And especially like the feeling you have, like, I feel so excited that I, you know, this. Again, you write it out as if it's already happened and embrace the feeling and, you know, maybe fold it up and put it somewhere. I don't know that you have to burn it or anything. Then as you're working towards the full moon, then you're you know thinking about, you know, what you need to do to accomplish that. You know, then you start setting your tasks. But, you know, it can be as simple as, writing out your intention or your goal and maybe lighting a candle or 
just sitting in a reflective mood or, you know, having a cup of tea with it. It just, as long as you take some time and think about that, and usually you're setting an intention like for the next lunar cycle for so like for about a month and maybe the next month you still need to work on that. So you might do it several months in a row. Who, who knows mm-hmm. how long it takes you to get stuff. I'm, I have to work on things for more than a month <laughs> sometimes, but you can just write it out, think about it, or maybe do a meditation, have some music, light a candle. That can be your whole ritual. It doesn't have to take three hours. You know, it can take 15 minutes. Yeah, it sounds a lot like mindfulness and manifestation. Yes. What we yeah. know in contemporary world is how we talk about these things now and think it's probably maybe the same thing. It probably is. Yeah, it's very similar, if not the same energy behind it, I should say. There are other tools you can use, and you can use certain herbs to help that have certain energies. It just depends on what you need and want and the time of the year. You know, there's plants you can use. There's crystals. There's all kinds of things to help, you know, bring in the energy of what you're trying to work on. But, you know, you don't have to do an elaborate spell. I mean, you can do some fun spells, and but you don't have to. You can just write down what you're wanting. And I had another, like a shamanic... She wasn't really a teacher of mine, but I had been at a conference and I gave a really lovely talk that everybody loved. Well, I met several wonderful people, but two ladies took me to dinner and she'd gone through shamanic training. And she said, you know, what you can do is, I mean, I believe in saying thank you, thank you, thank you. And then say the thing as if it's already happened. Mm -hmm. And I do that, you know, at least three times. Another thing she said you can do is three times you will say for as long as I can remember and then say the thing as if it's already happened. Or I've always remembered it, you know, something. But as long as I can remember this, and, you know, that's one of her tools for, you know, bringing in the energy for getting what you want. And and that's really lovely. It's just another way of setting that intention and inviting the universe to help you. Yeah, I really like that. And and I've shared similar advice about how to manifest and, and using energy of it already having it already have happened, the right. sort of past tense sort of it exists in front of me now kind of energy. But truly, it's the feeling that I notice that changes it is that that experience. It's the same thing like, you know, people like my daughter would love to buy a house someday. And it's like, well, okay, number one, you can put a picture on your fridge of what kind of house you want. Or you can write down all the cool things you want in your new house and you know keep thinking as if you're going to have that house or don't think well I can't get it yet because I can't afford it da, 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 da. you know you have to keep thinking that you can have it it, it may not happen tomorrow yeah. <laughs> it may not happen three months down the road and then yes there's some action steps that you know you need to keep working to make sure that you can afford it but you right. never know what opportunity is going to happen that will also help make that thing happen so Yes, absolutely. You know, mindset apparently is a huge part of all this. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun to talk about it that way because I love everything mindset. I love yes. Yes. The, the brain really interests me and your subconscious mind understands it absorbs everything you say to it. So if you tell yourself that you can't have it, you've already decided that you cannot. It's why intention is so powerful. So if you tell yourself you can, then your brain has decided that you can and it will find ways to make it happen. Right. It will start working on the possibility versus its opposite. So yeah, it's very interesting how this all kind of folds together. It's fun to talk about it in this way. I have to ask, when all sure. of this discovery was happening, were you still going to church? Were you still 
practicing the same. No, it's funny because when you are Mormon, you're stuck in church. The church services are like three hours. It's three hours of different meetings every Sunday. And then during the week, you're doing stuff. And I realized pretty early on in my relationship with Mark that I wanted to visit him instead of sitting at for church at three hours because that would actually cut into the actual visiting time. And it was just, it didn't have this big moment saying, oh, the church isn't true. I just, I don't need it anymore. It was just all of a sudden, you know, the gate opened and I just didn't need it. And I told my bishop, it's like, I've met this guy. Yes, he's in prison. So, you know, that didn't thrill him. You know, I can't do this job because I'm not going to be coming to church and I want to visit him. So... So it just kind of happened. It just kind of happened. And I did allow some church people that they like to come and bring you a little monthly message. And, you know, I let that happen for a long time. And when I needed to move, even though I wasn't going to church, I called them for help. And I, you know, called them for help once or twice. But, you know, I don't overuse that. But basically, I haven't had anything to do with them for years. You know, sometimes they'll show up the house in California and I'll, hi, how are you? No, I'm not coming back to church. You know, okay, I'm a pagan now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. or yeah. I might have said I'm a witch, but I don't think I said, that. I don't think I used that word. But, you know, I think I scared them last time they showed up. Oh but, my, that's so funny. You know, it's like, I know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who have trauma around the church for whatever reason. And thankfully, I didn't. It was the men that I chose mm-hmm. to marry. And the evolution of your life really shifted out of that, I think. I don't regret it. And my daughter, she left the church when she was in high school. It's like, I'm not going to church anymore, mom. And that was, she was like in high school. So it's like, she knew early on, oh, this isn't for me. So that was fine. You know, I go, but you were raised in it. How could you all of a sudden see that it, you know, there was something wrong with it. (laughs) And I don't don't know that she's given me a a big answer, you know, but there's people who've done a lot of research into history and whatever. It's like, I didn't even go there. I just said, oh, I don't need it. I want to visit this guy and the way it is. Was your husband in prison when you met him? He was. He'd already been in, I don't know, 10, 15 years. He was arrested in 1982. He only was out on bail like four or five months during his trial, and his trial was in early of 84. And so he's been incarcerated since like June of 1984. And I met him the fall of 1997. So whatever that is. How did you meet if he was (laughs) in jail? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a bookkeeper, but you can do the math. <laughs> My a former roommate of mine, her husband had been, it was also in prison, and I'd gone with her to visit him a couple times, so the prison didn't scare me. Prison visiting is pretty not scary. And she came home one day and said, oh, I met this really nice guy. He's a friend of Ricky's. You know, his mom was visiting him. He's really nice. He's really smart. It's like, smart. That would be a new kind of boyfriend for me. So, okay. You know, we're a year apart, so, you know, we had a lot of things in common. And so we started writing, and it took a couple of months for me to get approved to visit him. And then I just, it's funny, because I think the first time I was going to see him in person was a Thanksgiving weekend. And I used to devote my whole Thanksgiving weekend to my family, because we do the big dinner. Then we do all these craft shows. And I was like, well, okay, I'm starting to see this guy in prison. What? (laughs) And now I have to leave our weekend to go, you know, back so I can go meet him in person. It's like, you know, my mom, now that she's been dead a long time, has forgiven me for that. And and she likes him. (laughs) 
but uh, it took her a while. She was not happy. Nobody was really happy in my family when we first got together. Because if you're in prison, you must be guilty. And, you know, it's all bad. You know, there can be nothing good come out of somebody knowing somebody that's in prison. But I have to tell you, it's like when you look around at all the families who are just having a great time together and, you know, the love that they're sharing with each other, visiting in a huge room with a billion other people. But I mean, it's obviously things have changed with COVID. I've only seen him like two times in person Mm -hmm. since COVID started. I've had a couple of video visits, but it's... That must be hard. It's put a big strain on things. We still write. We write every day, pretty much. So, you know, I've got boxes and boxes of letters. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah, we met while he was in prison. We courted for five years. We finally decided, you know, might be a good idea to get married. So we've been married 19 years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. (laughs) Does he have an end date in sight or is... No, he does not. Okay. He has a life without parole sentence, but he keeps trying to find ways to, you know, work through the legal system and... He's old for prison, and he's got some health problems. They keep passing laws that will help inmates in that situation. They just haven't extended them to people with life without parole sentences. Okay. Uh, If you have like 25 to life and you're already eligible for parole. So number one, he's working on, you know, they they have been commuting a lot of sentences so that now you can at least start be eligible for parole. So, you know, things are moving just very slowly in California for that group of people. So who knows? We don't have an end date in sight. When I met him, he thought he had like two years because the lawyer was working on it. And then the lawyer frauded him and didn't really work on his case. So it's like, okay, two years has worked into 20 plus. (laughs) You've done it for this long, so I'm sure you've worked out a process for your relationship to be successful. We talk a lot, a lot more than most married couples probably do. But there's, you know, even at our age, and we've been together so long, you'd think we had it perfect. And, you know, we're still learning on better ways to communicate. Yeah, that's actually really lovely to hear that that is at the core of your relationship is the communication. Well, and especially when we met, all we could do was write. And then all we could do was talk and sit in a room with a bunch of other people. So you're probably doing better in that area than most of us. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he's had a talk to or gotten letters from friends who, you know, maybe once in a blue moon, they'll go on a date with their wife. And for us, it was almost like, OK, every week, you know, that those couple hours is our weekly date. So we had dedicated time to each other. It wasn't like just saying hello to each other as we were passing each other on the way to everybody's job or something. So, you know, we have had time to sit down and and talk about meaningful things and also, you know, cool history things and cool alien stuff and, you know, what he did in the military. And he's been all over the world. So, you know, I've gotten a lot more information than I would from anybody else. So fun. That sounds like a really fun experience, actually, a fun relationship. So we've covered a lot of ground. (laughs) Yes, we have. But... What's next? A long life to share. I will ask you if there is one takeaway that you would like the listener to walk away with from this conversation. What do you think that would be? It's a hard one for this one, but. That's okay. I've been practicing that a lot. It's like, because it's one of my lessons and it's kind of like two things. Basically, don't give away your power. Hold on to that power yourself. And at 67, I've learned it's never too late to find a new path and go down that road. And also, it's just never too late to change your life for the better. Even if it's just one thing or a ton of things, it's never too late. And if you look at the cover of my book, you'll see that I am a cloaked older woman 
looking at this glorious path going into the forest. And, you know, that's the image I got for myself when I was thinking about the cover for the book. And I told my cover artist, that's what we need, because that's it. I found a new path and I'm going for it. I went for it. <laughs> and there's little fairies hanging about near me on the cover of the book. So, you know, they're, they're guiding me to the light. So it's just never too late and you can make things better. That's a strong message. Thank you. <laughs> and magical and whimsical all at the same time, which is really fun. <laughs> yes, I am that, that silly, magical, witchy grandma. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so how can we connect with the witchy grandma? <laughs> the witchy grandma. Well, let's see. The website for my book is dragonhillbooks.net. It's also available on Amazon. And I have a Facebook group. So if you go on Facebook, find a group, and it's called just Midlife Magic. Okay, great. Yeah. And my yeah. email is joanne, no E, at midlifemagic.biz. Fantastic. Okay, Lots of I'll ways put, to connect. Put all of that in the show notes so that people can reach thank out you. and thank maybe you. join your group and get your book and do all that fun stuff. And great. I will just say thank you so much for sharing so much of your life with us today. You are so welcome. <laughs> it's been great. Thank it's been you. been great. You're a very safe place to share stuff with. Well, that means a lot to me. So yes. thank, thank you for that. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Beeble Begin. We hope that these episodes are helping inspire and empower you to take your next steps towards whatever you're thinking of creating. And if you want more tools, resources, and techniques for your creative process and to connect with me directly, then I'd love to invite you to our Unleash Creative Community. Just follow the link in the show notes and I'll look forward to meeting you there. Happy creating. <laughs>